Hello and welcome back to season two of Alan and Ovary's launch, this time recorded remotely. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and I will be your host on the podcast for demystifying the process of getting into law and exploring both the opportunities you will have in your legal career and, of course, what that career might take you. Today's episode is Legal Tech, from buzzword to graduate opportunities. And the group to guide us through this maze is made up of Saran Kaur, our Legal Tech Senior Engagement Manager, which means that she helps translate what lawyers and clients want into software. Josh Kelly, who was seconded for the fourth seat of his training contract to ITO, the ideas and innovation team within our wider legal tech group. And last but not least, Matt Westby, a computer science and economics graduate who is currently on our advanced delivery graduate scheme. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. So let's just delve straight into it and more specifically about how legal tech has now become a bit of a buzzword, I think, in the legal industry. But similarly to commercial awareness, the other very common buzzword for all graduates, I think it's a bit tricky to grasp what it actually means. It's just kind of this catch-all phrase that seems to suggest, I don't know, just tech and law firms. So I was wondering how you would define legal tech. Sure, completely agree. It's definitely a buzzword in the market at the moment. If you think of all the different tools and technologies that law firms use, um, how do you distinguish which ones actually fall under the legal technology category and which ones fall under mainstream IT? So for me, the way that I would describe it simply, it's the application of technology to core legal tasks and processes. Now that we have a bit of a better idea as to what legal tech actually is, I was wondering if you could share some concrete examples of the legal tech currently used at ANO. Josh, can you give us a bit of a teaser first? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before Don't cover I... everything, please. Okay. Leave some for the okay. others. I'll, I'll give one <laughs> of the big examples I use. So when I was sat in tax, which was my third seat, so just before I2, relatively recently, one of the tools that I used on a tax investigation I was working on was Relativity One, which is a document review tool that's used by our e-discovery team. And effectively what Relativity One does, so so it's a cloud-based solution and really what it's aimed at doing is helping reduce huge numbers of documents that you get in litigation, arbitrations and investigations provide data and insights into those document sets and crucially bring down the number of documents that need to be manually reviewed. So I recall in the data set that the client disclosed to us, there was over a hundred thousand documents and there was oh just no yeah, there was just no <laughs> way with effectively two trainees on the investigation. I think that would have been your whole seat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what relativity won did it automated a lot of that process and helped pick out the documents that were relevant and reduce that data set down from 110,000 or whatever it was to about 4,000 which you know you can see is a huge huge difference it still wasn't particularly pleasant manually reviewing 4,000 documents but you know it it was way easier than 110,000 so I suppose that's the main one I used Saran do you want to go next sure 
Yeah. So I think when we talk about legal technology, we try and bucket them up into three areas. So there's tools for contract management, tools for contract review. So uh, Josh has just given an example there. And then there's also transaction management. So everything around the administrative tasks on a particular deal. So maintaining, updating, circulating an issues list, documents list, perhaps a checklist. All of those tasks, we have tools such as Collaborate and Legatics. And Legatics is one of the tools that has been used on across 150 matters to help with the CP management process in banking and finance transactions. And we've seen um, really great efficiency savings from using that particular platform, um, such as removing the need to hold all parties conference calls, a reduction in resource required to manage that process, um, and a more efficient and streamlined overall experience for our clients, which is really exciting. That's very interesting. Actually, on Collaborate, I've been using Collaborate as well in arbitration where, where I am now, and it's been very, very helpful. How about you, Matt? Any other tools that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think one of maybe not new tools, but one of the exciting things that I think that we're starting to do at ANO is join up each of the solutions. So not only are we looking at new and creative ways to use these solutions, but how can we link them together to create sort of an end-to-end process rather than, for example, using Legatics or a CP process at the end of the deal. How can we start earlier within that deal with technology to make it easier for the lawyers so they're getting used to having all of the deal on a platform of some description i've been recently working on a project where we used a collaborate site to start the tracking of documents and then once we sort of hit the cp phase we then moved it across into legatics and i think looking at ways to link them up is really exciting So now that we've covered the several examples of legal tech, there's obviously the stage where I need to identify the legal tech that needs to be implemented into the law firm. And I guess there are a lot of ideas that are coming both from within the firm, from our network, from Fuse, but also externally when you see so many new legal tech startups just popping up all the time. So how does the firm identify and develop the right opportunities, so to say, given this overload of different options? Sure. I guess if we split it out into two streams, there's all of the ideas that we get across the a network globally that can come from any area of the business, practice areas, plus on, on the business support side. And the, we use a central platform to collate those ideas into one place, a platform called Vizoku. And what's really great about that is Anyone in the firm has access. They get to see all of the ideas that are posted. They can like those ideas, vote on particular ideas and comment, which is really great in terms of generating a buzz around what people are coming up with, pain points people have identified that perhaps quite a few people may relate to. So that's one area where we collect and gather ideas internally. And it could be ideas for completely brand new products that don't exist, or it could be ideas of ways in which to use some of the products by the few startup companies that we have in slightly different and innovative ways. And then separately, 
One of the best things about Fuse is that it acts as a tech radar. So Shruti Ajitsaria, who heads up Fuse, and Kevin Oliver, who's the head of legal technology, they actually dedicate one day a month to meet and receive demos from various startup companies across the globe so that they are keeping abreast of what's out there, new technologies that are coming into the market. And then once all those ideas have been added onto that platform, we also have a, what we call an I2 panel. So I2, I think we may have mentioned it, stands for ideas and investment. And that's the team that Josh is doing his trainee seat in. But this panel, it's made up of a diverse group. So representation across our core practice areas, and they will review the ideas. So a business case will be submitted by an idea owner. They'll hear a pitch from the idea owner, and they will make a call as to whether or not it's something that we should allocate resource budget and time to and if it's an idea that's worth progressing forward and they'll give that sponsorship to it which is really good to have uh, when you're trying to develop new solutions. And once you have identified the ideas, developed the ideas and have reached to a final product that can be used in the firm, what in your experience are the key challenges if any both in developing that legal tech, but more importantly, I think, in convincing lawyers to adopt the new technologies. Matt, if you want to take this one first. Yeah, sure. I think it is the biggest challenge is the convincing of the lawyers. So I think building that trust to make sure that we are using the technologies, because quite often conceptually to technologists and developers, the tech can work. So you could be sat in quite a sterile environment where everyone's testing it thinking, oh, this works brilliantly, but until you get it in the lawyer's hands and they they use it in anger on a deal, we can never be 100% sure. So it's trying to convince the lawyers and finding that willingness to get the technology used so we can then develop on it. I think trying to develop in the sterile environment of testing is all good and well, but we need to get it used to be able to find out on a day-to-day basis in real life, as it were, how it's going to work and does it fit with the processes and can we improve on it? I think just to add to that as well, one of the core principles for having the I2 team is as soon as an idea is logged on the platform, whoever submitted that idea, they own it and they own it all the way through the panel stage where they pitch for resource and budget to work on that idea. They are involved working very closely with the I2 team to develop it, prototype, etc. And so when it actually comes to then rolling that solution out to the practice group, really the idea owner should be championing it and they should be endorsing it and sponsoring it and getting involved, which is really, really key and powerful in terms of trying to get our lawyers to then adopt it rather than it being seen as a product that's been built and siloed by IT and then almost thrust upon our lawyers to use and engage with. Yeah, that was my experience as well. Actually, I used the Wizoka platform and worked with IT to develop the software idea that I had. But in terms of legal tech opportunities for graduates, given that this is quite a new set or relatively new, let's say in the past two, three years, it has grown a lot. ANO actually has an advanced delivery graduate scheme that I think many of our listeners might not be aware of, which is different from a training contract, but it lasts two years as well. And it covers three departments and you spend eight months in each. 
And those are legal tech, project management, and markets and innovation. And for the purposes of this advanced delivery graduate scheme, the whole idea behind it is to learn how a law firm operates, the digital disruption affecting its clients, and also how to just stay ahead of the curve in delivering legal services to clients. And I think, Matt, you can give us a bit of a more practical insight on this because you have been on the scheme and experienced what it actually means. So I started in September of last year and I did eight months in the legal taxi, which I think your description at the start of how Saram works of being that translation point uh, between technology and the lawyers is how I'd also describe it. I think that is the key role is to be able to understand the tech so well that you can then break it down to make sure that a lawyer with different levels of understanding. So naturally, some may be very tech savvy, some may not, and you're able then to communicate to them how the technology can benefit them, how they need to use it, and be able to break it down like that. I think that translation point is definitely how I describe that role. And I think within the legal tech, it was really interesting to work on a variety of projects. And I I was lucky to be afforded the opportunity to work across a number of different projects. And then in May of this year, I moved across to the project management office, which is very different and very interesting for me. So obviously, I don't have a legal background, as we've spoken about. So for me, this is a great opportunity sitting within the project management office to learn how legal processes work, learn more about the law, to understand how the different elements work, understand better how each department's set up. And I think ultimately going forward, the legal tech seat and the project management seat are going to benefit each other. I'm able to bring elements I've learned from legal tech into the project management office to talk about that. And equally, if I went back to legal tech, I've got a much better understanding of legal processes and the way the lawyers like to work. And then January 2021, I'll move to the Markets Innovation Group and That's going to be a really exciting seat as well. So I think from what I've heard from the other graduates, it's probably the most unstructured seat in a really good way. I think you have to be really flexible and really agile. And it's more of a sort of research and development seat. So you're looking at opportunities within the ICM, sorry, the International Capital Markets team to be able to think about where can we go next? What can we offer our clients? It's going to be slightly different that we can do on a much larger scale because we use technology. So I'm very much looking forward to that seat as well. That all sounds really interesting. I did a training contract, but I'm wondering if when I was applying, if this was an option, it, whether I wouldn't have considered it very carefully. But back to the training contract and to legal tech opportunities during the training contract. We have mentioned before that trainees can go on secondment to ITO, the ideas and innovation team. So, Saran, could you please just briefly explain what ITU's role is within the firm? Sure. So I think it's probably best to start off with the different roles in that team. So there's innovation managers, business analyst, the developer, and a user design specialist. And each of those play a different part in trying to generate ideas amongst our practice groups on ways to use legal tech on matters 
They also work with our clients. So we have hosted and run workshops where we bring our clients together and we work through their processes, their tasks, what are the pain points, what are the challenges. And so that's essentially the role of the innovation manager is to help try and generate those ideas. And they do this through creative design thinking workshops and they have multiple strategies and methodologies to try and get those ideas and pain points out of groups. A business analyst will then try and gather the requirements. So here's a particular pain point that's been identified from a workshop. Well, let's drill that down. What is it that actually happens? What's the current status today? And what's the ideal scenario for the way in which you want to do that particular task? And once the business analyst has got those requirements, they will then send those on to the developer and the developer will create a prototype. And once they've created that prototype, they will then perhaps involve the user design specialist who will go through and as a end user of that prototype they will work through it and give feedback and explain whether or not it, it's, it works for a customer journey and all those roles all work together and they actually work in sprints and Josh could probably add to this in, in a second as well and the whole point of that is trying to move fast in terms of taking an idea from idea stage or a pain point from that stage through to prototype and ultimately and eventually to an actual working solution, which is really, really exciting. That does sound really exciting. And Josh, you've now been in the IT team for quite a while. This is your fourth seat. What was your role within the IT team? So in terms of what my role has been and my responsibilities, I suppose to go back to you know what Saran mentioned about the different roles within the team, the BAs, you know, the innovation managers, designers. I feel like I've done a bit of everything really as a secondary. Just a bit of a jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> and it's been completely different to the work I was involved in as a trainee. And I, I'd say that no day's been the same really. When I started, it was quite a transition, you know, so just getting to grips with all the different technologies we use and kind of observing workshops and sprints, you know, to see how the i2 team like to do things differently. And since then, I, I've been involved in a huge range of work, really, on so many different projects. As I said before, there was quite a steep learning curve at the outset. But once I got to grips with all of that, I've really appreciated the variety of what I've done. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I might be process mapping a problem that our lawyers are having when a new idea comes in. As Saran said, running workshops and sprints to gather more information on pain points, user requirements for any potential solution. Once we've got those, maybe carrying out market research into the different legal tech solutions on the market, testing prototypes that we build. And as I said, running workshops, which isn't something I ever got a chance to do in the legal teams. So I've had quite a lot of responsibility, which has been a bit daunting at times, but also really enjoyable. It's super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I think the next one, it's kind of the last serious question, so to say, but I think it's incredibly important because legal tech is becoming more and more important as we've all discussed during this episode. And graduates and students are more and more interested in this area. So could you share some advice that you would like to give graduates, but also lawyers who want to become more involved with legal tech? 
And maybe if we could start with Matt. Yeah, sure. I think for me, the, the biggest bit of advice I could give is start as soon as you can. So if you start now, the learning curve is still probably a little bit steep depending on your background, but it's only going to get steeper. So get involved with legal tech as soon as possible. How about you, Saren? What advice do you have? Yeah, I mean, completely agree with Matt. I think if you're in a law firm at the moment and you have a legal technology team, just get in touch, go down, meet them, have a conversation. Even if you don't have an idea, you don't know which product you need, just have that open conversation. If you're not familiar with any of the products, ask for test access, set up a training account, log in, have a play and get familiar with the product. I think if you're not currently in a law firm, you're currently at university or, or a graduate, think about applying for internships at startups over the summer. That's a really, really good way to get involved in the legal tech startup market, understand how technology is built, how it's sold to law firms and, and legal customers. There are so many events going on at the moment. So annually, there's the Legal Geek Conference, which is really, really good. They have a, a separate section for students as well. And there's so much press as well, you know, on legal tech to read upon and keep abreast of, which is really, really good. Um, for me, I spend a lot of time trying to do more campaigns and events for promoting more female representation in legal tech. So there's the Legal Geek Women in Law Tech programs so have a look at that get involved if you could get a mentor there's also we've co-hosted an event with Barclays Eagle Labs for the future of women in law as well so have a look at their website they run a number of different events throughout the year so go along attend network and find out more about the legal tech environment through uh, conversations with people. Josh any other suggestion from your side? I think Saran covered things pretty well in terms of graduates, I suppose, for lawyers. I think just be mindful of legal tech, you know, as you're going about your day-to-day -day life, like for your own life, really, whether you're involved in a deal, a dispute or whatever. Just sometimes take a step back and look at what you're doing. Think about the things that you're doing time and time again and think, is this something that really I need to be doing manually? If not, or if the task is repetitive, the chances are there is some sort of legal tech that could help make things easier for you, even if you don't necessarily know what that is. And if that is the case, just get in touch with the legal tech team and tell us about it. And we can work with you to see if there's a solution to help make your jobs a bit less painful, which is only going to be of a benefit to you in the long term very very useful and all the practical examples of what people can do i think they can just go ahead after this episode sign up for new opportunities immediately and now just kind of taking a sidestep from all of the serious conversation about legal tech and doing something a bit more unconventional this season at the end of each episode we're playing a game of two truths and a lie and personally while i love and i find all these conversations incredibly interesting this is the bit that I always look forward to the most. What do you think about it? Yeah, definitely. We can have a go. <laughs> okay. Well, Josh, do you want to tell yes. us your three statements? Okay. So my first statement is that jogging is one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, my second statement is that I never learned how to ride a bike. And my third statement is that I once run the London Marathon. Hmm. When did you run the marathon? That was two years ago, 2018. 
So I I do think you like jogging, or from from when when we've had conversations, I do think you really like your exercise, and I think you do like jogging, mm-hmm. which does make me feel like you did do the marathon. If you like jogging, you probably did do the yeah. marathon. What was your time on the marathon? Uh, it was four hours twenty three. I think it was. Okay. Uh, how come you never learned to ride a bike? Um, I, I just it was it was something I never never wanted to do. Um, my parents tried to get me to learn, um, but I, I think I think at the time I was more into swimming for some reason as a kid. Not that not that it's really the same, um, but I was just adamant that I never wanted to. I think I preferred going out and running about in the street. Um, I kind of I kind of regret it now. Um, because you know, so many of my friends go out on bike rides, but I'm like, is it too late to learn? I don't know. Uh, but I'm I'm not sure I'd feel safe cycling in London anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, I'm inclined to say that the bike is the lie. What What do you think, Matt and Saren? I think the marathon's the lie. Oh, Matt. Um. Yeah, I think I think I think the bike's the lie. Oh, okay. Well, um, go with the bike. I don't know which one to pick. Uh, Let's say the bike is the lie, and if it's not, Saran (laughs) will will do a victory dance. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry to say you're wrong. (laughs) No. Jogging is one of my favorite hobbies, but I'm definitely not good enough to look from the marathon. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was a very interesting conversation. And then both myself and the listeners, we've learned so much just from you guys. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Don't forget to tune in for our next episode where we will talk about life as a lawyer in a tech startup with Ricky Cohen, the general counsel and legal product architect at Navora. Thank you all for listening. And remember to check out our social media and graduate recruitment website.